is the Pharisee. By the way, I'm going old school today. I have no computer. I have no slides, no nuts. So no matter what happens to the power, we still can do business here. So old school, just a Bible in hand. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of the disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cuts, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? So we're going to start right there. So I actually looked up the word defile. Because, you know, like, I don't know how you are, but sometimes when I'm reading the Scripture, I have an idea. I think I know what it means. And then I look it up, and like, I was smoking something. That wasn't even close to what the Scripture says. And so I looked up defilement. And actually, this time I was close. So the word defile just means to spoil or to taint or to, you know, corrupt in some way. And so in their minds, if you ate with unwashed hands like that, you were eating with spoiled hands. Now the key here is, it says, why don't they hold to the tradition of the elders? So God had never said throughout the Old Testament that if you eat with unwashed hands, you're eating with defiled hands. They had come up with these rules over time and said, by the way, if you do this, and they're like, why aren't you holding up the tradition? And that's what they were trying to ask Jesus about and trying to slam him over. Jesus replied, I love how Jesus, you ever notice when people ask Jesus a question in the scriptures? Very rarely does he answer the question. Very rarely. Usually because he's like, that's a dumb question. You've heard in probably some seminars or classes before, there are no no such thing as dumb questions. Jesus just spoiled that whole thing right here. He's like, that's a dumb question. So he doesn't even answer it. He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You ever been to a church like that? You ever worked for somebody like that who just makes stuff up on the spot? I have. I worked for a guy who just, after working a 12-hour shift, and I'm not joking, bombs are dropping, this and that and that. I'm in the military, and he's like, this should be painted in here. And I was like, yeah, great, you know, let me know when you want that to happen. Ha, ha, ha. And he's like, no, I'm serious. I think you should go get some paint. I wanted to punch him in the face, right, in love, right? Just making stuff up as he went. That's what the religious leaders were doing. They were making stuff up that God had never said. That is the point here. And he, uh, Jesus calls them hypocrites. Now, a lot of times you will hear in church circles or outside of church circles especially, I'm not going to church, a bunch of hypocrites there. Guess what? A bunch of hypocrites out there too. But the real definition of a hypocrite is somebody who is pretending. It's somebody who's wearing a mask. It's somebody who says, do what I say, not what I do. That's why he said, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are way over here. You're flapping. You're saying the words, but you don't mean it. Those are hypocrites. A hypocrite is not somebody who blows it on Saturday and shows up here on Sunday, right? Because that's every one of us, amen? You blew it somehow yesterday, by the way, whether you know it or not. 
I guarantee you there was a sin, if not hundreds, in your life yesterday that you don't even know about, let alone the ones that you know you know about. That doesn't make you a hypocrite. What makes you a hypocrite is if you pretend and you act like you got your stuff together when you don't. It'd be better to just be an open book and open book, be better to just be an open book and say, Lord, I blew it. And if somebody asks you how you're doing, you don't say fine. You say, I blew it yesterday, but I'm here. Wouldn't you much rather hear that and have that honesty? That's the opposite of being a hypocrite. To blow it is just to be human. To be a hypocrite, you're pretending. He says, they worship me in vain. That just means that you're doing it for no reason. You're pointless. You don't have any real end in mind. You're just going through the motions. That's what he's, and by the way, he's dogging out the religious leaders. These aren't the disciples. These aren't the, the common folk that he's slamming. These are the religious leaders. He's like, you guys are just blowing smoke. That's all you're doing. And that's why he calls him a hypocrite, because he knows. And he says, your teachings are merely human rules. Here's the key, verse 8. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. So I started thinking about human traditions here the other day. And I was like, what kind of human traditions do we hold on to? And, and traditions in and of themselves aren't bad. They're only bad if you do them in lieu of what God has said. So if God is telling you to do this and you're like, I'm going to come up with some tradition that makes it this. So we got Halloween coming up, right? There's a tradition. Right? We're going to go out there and scare the snot out of each other's children, give them lots of candy so they get diabetes. Great. <laughs> what a great tradition. Right? Then after that, Thanksgiving and all that other good stuff, got Black Friday. There's a tradition I wish would die. I wish it would die. Why is it on Thanksgiving, by the way, it's the only time every year that we are allowed to be a glutton and it seems to be okay? Kept you from laughing that time, didn't I? So... Seriously, we overeat. That's a tradition. It's a bad one. And again, traditions can be good or bad. They don't have to be anything. But we don't want to do those things in place of God. Why do we put milk and cookies out every year for some stranger to come down the chimney and burglarize our house? <laughs> That's a weird tradition, but we do it. We do it all the time. But some of those traditions are, what if you have the family tradition that said, we're going to eat to dinner together every Thursday night at 6, heck or high water. That can be a good thing. There's no command in the scriptures that say you need to do that or you have to do that, but it would be a good tradition to have. So there are some good traditions, and there's some other traditions where I'm like, that makes no sense, Lord, but we do it every single year. So Jesus continued, you have a, I love this. You know, Jesus has sarcasm right here in his voice. I always wondered if I had an out for some reason to use my spiritual gift of sarcasm, and I do right here. Verse 9, and he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God. That's sarcasm, folks. You have a fine way setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corban, that is devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition you've handed down. And you do many things like that. Have you ever met people who try to spiritualize something that wasn't meant to be spiritualized or they try to not do something 
um, that God has commanded, and they make some kind of weird excuse over here and say, well, the reason why is because I had to shampoo my cat, I had to water my yucca plant, and the reason that I couldn't get to church on Sunday was because of this, 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 and yet, but doggone it, there's a fantastic football game on today, right? Tradition, and he says in Hebrews 10, do not neglect meeting together, Right? So maybe Sunday first service is a little too godly for you. Well, you're not because you're here. But maybe it's too godly for some folks, and so you don't have to come to this early service. Maybe you could come to the 1045. If that gets in the way, maybe Monday at, at CR is your night to worship, plus your life group, plus whatever. He's just saying don't neglect to meet together. He doesn't say how, when, or where. Church should be a part of that. Right? I don't know about you guys. We were talking about it in class this morning. Once a week for one hour is not enough for me. I am way more jacked up than that to have once a week. Amen? Is it just me? Because if you guys got it together, I need to hang out with you people more. Because I I, I'm telling you, I'm like, I need like a Sunday, a Wednesday, and probably two on Friday. Because Saturday's coming, right? So I need some time with my people. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen. To me, everyone, and understand this. Do you think if Jesus says something like that, it's important? Listen to me and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it's what comes out of a person that defiles them. I thought about that, and I thought, you know, it's the stuff that comes out, right? And he gives a laundry list here. I'll keep going, and then we'll talk about it. After he left the crowd... He entered the house, and the disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked. Did you ever read the scriptures in this wonder? I was like, Jesus, that's not very Christ-like. Doesn't that sound stupid? I meant it to sound like it sounded. We're like, How come Jesus can ask that, are you so dull? Because I always thought that means, are you that dumb? And then I looked up the Greek for dull. You know one of the key words for dull is boring? That changes the meaning of that sentence to me. He's like, are you that boring? Are you that unaware of what's happening? Are you that detached? Are you just kind of floating along and everything looks like unicorns and butterflies to you and you're not paying attention to nothing? That's what he's saying. He's saying, are you that unaware? I know some of you husbands are like, absolutely. <laughs> I heard of a guy one time, he was so busy, he did not know the name of the family dog. Okay, that's dull folks. That's boring. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them, for it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach, and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. That doesn't mean all foods are good for you. You could eat ding-dongs all day, every day, without being defiled, but you're going to have this figure if you do it. <laughs> he went on. What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it's from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly, which is foolishness. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. Isn't it interesting that a lot of these things could just start with your thought life? or your desires, or something like that. And it says in James, uh, verse, uh, shoot, I think it's, it's chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. He says, he goes down this road and he says, um, 
that when you have these desires, it leads to sin, and sin leads to death. So we have to be cognizant of our thought life, you know, and a lot of people will go down the road of like, okay, they watch too many violent movies when they were growing up, and that's why they went into the mall, and they shot 40 people with a shotgun. And I'm like, okay, you know what? Maybe. You have to watch what, you know, he's saying that what goes into you doesn't defile you. So we obviously need to agree with what the Lord has said. But that doesn't mean that what goes into you from the outside doesn't affect you. So it may not defile you, but it might get my mind thinking. If you watch garbage all, all day on TV, that is going to affect your thought life, which is going to affect your heart, which is going to affect your actions, right? Garbage in, garbage out. So it may not defile you, but it can affect you. So we still have to be cognizant on the front end of what's coming in. What do I see? What do I hear? I spent 20-some-odd years in the military. You hear lots of creative words. That in itself, according to the Word of God, did not defile me. What my mind did with those things, though, was twisted them all up and made it part of my vocabulary, and it was very hard to filter out. You have no idea how much I'm filtering right now. Right? I filter all the time because I got inundated with that stuff. You cannot sit there and watch Rambo 8 12 times before bed and go, I can't figure out why I wasn't sleeping, right? Yeah, you can figure it out. In my case, it was because I had a monster two hours before, all right? So that stuff affects you, folks, is what I'm saying. So it's, but it doesn't defile you. And it, and it says in the Scriptures to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. So we have to be cognizant of what's coming in this way and filtering it on the front end. Some of it you can't avoid. A lot of it we can. Those are the things that defile us. It's the deeds that come after. It's the thoughts that come after. So we have to be cognizant of what's causing this chain reaction. And he says in James that these deeds are going to lead to these sins in your life which are going to lead to death in your life. And I'm not just talking about physical death. If you want to watch somebody kill a marriage, watch it with their thought life and where they went with it over the years and how it got to that stage. Because you don't just show up at the altar and go, I'm going to give this a week before we're done. But you give it 20 years of garbage coming into your life, and then it's easy to go because it wasn't a one-time decision for you. You let this thing build, 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 and build, and then you allowed yourself to defile yourself by going down that road. Which brings an interesting concept of, you know, uh, we give Satan way too much credit. I hear all the time that, well, Satan made me do this, or Satan gave me this thought, or something like that. He says in James, because of your own evil desires, you were dragged away and enticed. I will tell you this. This is my current theology. 95%, I made that number up, 95% of your defilement, your sin, your bad thoughts, comes from you and I does not come from Satan. He cannot be everywhere at once. He's not omnipresent like God our Father is. He can only be in certain. Now, he's got demons out there too that can influence you and do things, but they can't be everywhere at once. We are doing the bulk of this ourselves. We are the ones who are influencing our own brains because we're letting this garbage come in, and then we're twisting it up, and he says because of your own evil desire, then you're dragged away and enticed. That is the bulk of it. Now, it also says in the Scriptures that Satan prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Who's easier to devour? The person who's been feeding on this garbage or the person who's been going to church 15 times a week? Who is going to be more likely to be tempted easier? 
Who's going to be the person? It's the person who's already dabbling in porn all day, every day, who's going to church on Sunday and making, well, he's pretending, right? Satan will then go, oh, you know what? I can, I can take that person down because my job is to kill, steal, and destroy. Let me bring this woman into his life. He has that kind of power to do that kind of stuff. But you already allowed yourself to go down this road because of where your brain was at for the last 10 years prior to that. A lot of it is on our own shoulders. Jesus left that place, verse 24, and went to the vicinity of Tyre, D-Y-R-E. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. This is a woman who has a little girl who is possessed by a demon. Lots of theology there. Figure that one out. I don't think she was playing with a Ouija board. How did that demon get in there? What caused it? What garbage was going on in the house that opened the door for that? I don't know. Maybe she was just a totally innocent victim. I don't know. The woman was a Greek. Born in Syrian Phoenicia, she begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her. Check this out. This is weird. I always thought this was weird. Jesus responds to her. Now, she begged him to throw the demon out of her. And he said, first let the children eat all they want. He told her it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Now, when I first read that for the last 30 years, I thought he was calling her a dog. And in a way, he is, but not in the sense that you and I think of it. He's saying it's not right to take from the bread of the children of Israel. It's not right to take the main course from these guys and give it to you people who are second on the list, right? So when you sit down at your table, I don't know how many of you have a dog. I have a couple in my life, two more than I need. And they're always sitting there looking for the scraps, right? But I don't take the choice steak and hand it to the dog. They get the scrap. They get the leftover, right? That's what he's saying to her. He's not calling her a dog. He's saying it's not right to take the choice meal and just toss it down here on the floor because the Jews were the, were the um, Christianity was supposed to be introduced to. He said salvation is first for the Jews, then for the Gentiles, or then for the Greeks. By the way, we're all Gentiles. We're all Greeks. So he's saying it's supposed to go through them first. Now, they rejected Jesus. So here we are, the recipients of that. And he says later on in the Scriptures that after the full number of the Gentiles come in and we're saved, it's going to revert back and go back to the Jewish community and go, all right, you guys got a clue now? Are you ready to accept Christ? That's where it's going to head. We're just not there yet. But he says, it's not right to take the children, the main bread, and toss it to the dogs. And I love her response. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. She is saying, even the dog will get a little piece of fat. And like Dr. Evil from well, Austin Powers. Throw me a freaking bone here, right? That's what she's saying. Throw me a bone. Even a crumb will do the job. Give me something. Even a dog gets something. And in this passage, he says, For such a reply, you may go. The demons left your daughter. In the, one of the other Gospels, Matthew, I believe, he says, he's like, what great faith. So he did, she didn't even take Jesus' answer. Can you imagine the Son of God saying it's not right to do that and having the audacity to say, throw me a bone anyway. That's what she did. Some of you are going through stuff right now. Right now. 
Have you, and the Lord may have shut a window or shut a door or done this and that, and he's not doing what you want done in that situation. Have you thought of, Lord, throw me a crumb. A crumb will do the job. Give me a flipping crumb. Throw something at me. Even the little, most minute little crouton that falls from the table can still do a miracle in my life. Lord, I'm asking you for that. Do you think God would honor a prayer like that? I do. He did here. He said, go. The demons left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. You know what's crazy to me about that story? She didn't even bring her daughter with her. She, the daughter was at home. Well, I wouldn't either if my kid had a demon. I'm like, you need to stay home. So I get it in some respects. But at the same time, everybody else who had any kind of infirmity or disease or whatever, they were all flocking to Jesus to get healed. She showed up by herself without this little demon-possessed child. I think I would have brought the child even though she's acting like a tyrant or who knows. Maybe she was stronger than the mom. I don't know. But I'm saying that she showed up with nothing. I'm going to come back to that in a little bit. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. There, some people brought to him a man who was deaf and who could hardly talk. Some of you have husbands like that. A man who's deaf and could hardly talk. Hmm. Some of you are like, I wish my husband would talk less. All right. And they begged Jesus to place his hand on them. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers in the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. That is the most bizarre thing ever. He, he, did Jesus just hawk a loogie like, and spit it up in the air? And then did he catch it and then touch it on the man's tongue? Did he spit in his hand? Did he spit right in the guy's mouth? I don't know what that looked like. I really don't want to find out. But the guy couldn't talk anyway. Nothing he could say about it. All right. Put his fingers into the man's ears. So he's spitting and putting his fingers. Do you know that Jesus invented the wet willy? <laughs> right here, 2,000 years ago, Jesus came up with that. I love that. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh, I'm going to try to pronounce this. He said, Epatha. It's actually an Arabic, Aramaic word. And he says this word to the guy who's from that region. He speaks in his language and says this word, which I thought was kind of cool. Because, you know, the, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The New Testament is written in Greek. Now he's speaking Aramaic just for this person, which is even more interesting because the guy's deaf right this second, so he can't even hear the word. So I'm wondering if he's not just saying this for everybody who's standing around. See, when Jesus does a miracle in your life, other people are affected, amen? Other people got to hear this too. And it says, be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. I thought, isn't it cool that Jesus tells this man, be opened? He says it in his language because everybody who's standing around could hear it too. He wants not just his mouth to be opened, not just his ears, but his mind and his heart. He has a lot more to open up in this man's life than he's possibly aware of, as well as everybody else who's sitting there. That's what Jesus is after. It, is a con it's a, it sums up Christ's ministry. His whole ministry here on earth was telling people to be opened and to be open. I need you to change your way of thinking. You can't put new wine into old wineskins. All of the parables, be open, be open. He's constantly rattling a very, very similar message for the rest of us. Constantly. 
At this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He's done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. You know that when Jesus is doing miracles in your life and in my life today, that to have somebody speak or to have somebody who's blind, who can see, somebody who goes down that road, that is nothing for our God. This is the same God who spoke the creation into existence. For him to heal somebody physically is nothing. It is a crumb from the table. To go to the cross and to take your and my sin is huge. That is way more difficult to accomplish. To the point where only one person has ever done it. His disciples did miracles after he was gone. Nobody has gone to the cross and forgiven you and I of our sins except for one. Amen? That's a tough thing to accomplish. Jesus basically became a man so that we could see and hear his message. So that we'd be able to speak words of life to other people. Now some of us have been defiled by our deeds. Some of us have been hypocritical in the past for various reasons. Some of us have let go the commands of God and we're holding on to the traditions of men. And the band's going to come up and they're going to they're play this last song. And um, as they do, I just want you to think about that stuff. I want you to think about what is it that you're letting go of that God has commanded you? What deeds have defiled you? What is it that you're ashamed of? And all of that part is okay, because God calls that out too. He just doesn't want you to stay there. He wants you to come and confess those things at the cross and give it to him. Because again, that little crumb that we talk about with the physical healings is nothing compared to the main course, which is being healed right, of all of our sins and being set free, like some of the songs we've been singing this morning. We want to be set free. We want those chains to be loosened. We want to be opened. We want the locks to be opened. We want our hearts to be opened, like, Lord, what is it do you have for me? So as they go through this last song, just think about those things. Think about the things that, that cause the suffering. Maybe it is demonic activity in your life or in the lives of somebody you know. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's just self-inflicted. I don't know. You know, I was thinking about the, the two examples that we, we read here about um, those who came to Jesus. This gal came to Jesus without her daughter. She came with nothing. The other man who was deaf and couldn't speak was brought to Jesus. So I don't know how you got here this morning. Maybe somebody brought you. Maybe you're just coming on your own and you left all of the evil stuff back there at your house. But you're here, right? You want to get a touch from the Lord? You're at the right spot. It's what we do. So as the band sings this last song, maybe you have questions. Maybe you got something on your heart. Maybe you need to confess something. I don't know what it is. Maybe you need to give your life to the Lord for the first time. That's okay. Anybody who's a believer in here has done it. So you're in good company. If you need to do that while they're playing the last song, there are elders, there's elders' wives, there's leaders, there's pastors. There's people up here that would love to pray for you. Go ahead and make a response.
This is supposed to be an active church. We're supposed to be moving. I don't like the churches where we just sit there the whole time and occasionally the most worship you'll get is a couple hands like this, right? Get up out of your chair if you feel comfortable and you got something to do and come right up here. That's what the steps are for. They got new carpet on it. We got rid of Bob Sturgeon's burn mark. There's new carpet up here. Let's come and put some blood and snot and tears and whatever on these steps that the Lord wants us to put up here. Amen? This is a response time for you guys, and we would love to pray with you for whatever it is that you need. It says in 2 Corinthians 6.2, now is the time of God's favor. Today is the day of salvation. Today. Now. You need God's favor? Now. You need salvation? Today. Let's pray. Lord, I'm so glad that we have your word. We have your Holy Spirit. You say it's better that Jesus left the earth, that we have your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we invite you and ask that you would poke those people in the heart that you want to poke. Lord, that you would help us to get up out of our chairs, that we would repent of sin, that we would give our lives to the Lord so that we can start afresh. Lord, our days are numbered. Some of us are running out sooner than others, and we don't even know who that is. We don't know if we have one day left or a thousand. Would you help us to use our time wisely? Would you help us to give us, just give our lives to you fully, Lord, today. Let's start with that first step. We're just scratching the surface, Lord, but help us to give our lives to you. In your great son's name we pray. Amen.